You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. And it's a very, very good evening to you. This is our first show of the second month of the year. We've already passed uh, one month into the new year. So the new year is now getting old. And uh, life has pretty much got back to as normal as we can under the circumstances. Gradually, restrictions are being relaxed. So uh, the latest one that I just saw was around education and classrooms and all the kids going back to school. So things are changing, and uh, well, let's hope things only go from good to better to best, and we're able to try get back to a semblance of the normality we had. So the program is called Talk at Six with Wayne Turner. I'm Wayne, and we'll be going through till quarter to seven this evening. Every Monday from six to quarter to seven, we have a show with a regular guest expert, bar one, which we try to have a community slot. So the first Monday of the month is our education slot. The second is financial. The third is community. And the fourth is our medical slot, which we've been able to get back into a normal routine and rhythm. Our last medical slot was Dr. Neville Wellington, it was great having him back on the show with the whole diabetes starting the new year, people have broken diets, etc. But uh, the first Monday of the month is our education slot, and education is very much in the news at the moment. Uh, with the return, education is of vital importance to our country, our economy, and it all starts when kids are very young. Now, our guest expert for the education slot is Cherry Howell, and she joins us again this month. A very, very warm welcome to you, Cherry. Thank you, and um, good evening to all our listeners out there. It's great having you back in studio. Now, Cherry, before we get into our subject, I mean, you would have seen in the news as well that we're starting to get back to normal with classrooms. I believe even now there's there's no one-meter distancing. I know they still have to wear masks. Mm-hmm. But and what's what your, is the best part about th- this new legislation is that children can go back to school every day. Um, local schools, government schools have been one day off and one day on. And this has created a huge impact. It's been like that for almost two years now, since the 27th of March, well, since the beginning of the second term. Um, And last year, I mean, 2020. So the impact of a child being at school for half a year has meant that uh, the the, um, syllabi, the curriculum has been halved and 
they've tried to prioritise, but it certainly does mean that for two of those important years, the child has just had half half of the the work done and expected to function now in full capacity. And I also heard some of the statistics of the children who have fallen out of school, particularly high school. They just could not keep up with the demands of trying to do online with from a cell phone. It just uh, almost impacted a, almost an, impossibility. an impossible task. Now, we've spoken a lot uh, in this show and our previous educator around the impact it's made on, on, on children, but it must have had a, a deep impact on educators because now you've had to change your teaching style. You can't prepare like you used to and have a five-day week. It's got all these interruptions. Apart from interruptions, I think there's been an element of huge stress on teachers trying to complete a syllabus, trying to ensure that children understand what they've had to do. It's distant learning means you're not there standing next to the child encouraging them. You can't actually see what they're writing. I know that because I tried to, I taught online for a certain period last year and um, uh, it's the the kind of uh, uh, personal interaction that you need um, is is has was absent. What is particularly um, tr- troublesome is that children are so static. They're sitting in front of a team, uh, um, a screen, and and obviously um, they're just sitting staring. And for many children, um, particularly high school, they just popped on a, a you know their profile pic and, and disappeared. There's not enough interaction, and. That introduces our subject today is how important attention span is because when you're just sitting um, sitting at home um, doing nothing, it's, it's you, you and you're not interacting. It's so easy for your attention to wander. You've got other things to look at and switch off. Because um, when when prior to lockdown, when the subject was discussed of attention. Uh, attention deficit disorder and these these related things to attention, it was dealt with in a traditional way. Now, two years after lockdown started, you have got other forms, mm. as you just alluded to it, other forms of or problems with attention. It's not in the cl- classroom now the teacher's worried about. Like you say, pop a profile, pick up and do something else. That they, It's very difficult to keep attention when you're on a computer yeah, screen. Yeah, because there's no physical interaction. You're just, just another face on the screen. They spend their life looking at a screen um, uh, to, to look at WhatsApp or YouTube, whatever it's, and they don't have to interact. But there are far more yeah. distract, distractions that aren't in the classroom. You hand yeah. your cell phone in or you don't bring a cell phone to class. So there isn't that distraction of be- mm. binging, binging of, mm. but that doesn't mm. happen at, at home. Mm. And mm. you can't, uh, say to well, now uh, they have to they have to sit in front of a screen. You can't say to uh-huh. Kathy in the corner there, Kathy, pay attention, look at me. I want to an- ask you a question. You don't have that luxury because not all mm. the kids on the screen actually have. You can see them, and how does a teacher mm. on one screen monitor forty-two pupils? Mm. Well, not not to mention what's happening in the background. I mm. taught children where I can see mom in the background. You know, at you know around about midday in her dressing gown washing dishes. <laughs> And um, and the and the family and Distracting the child to the walking in, and I'm saying to the child, you know, little Johnny, this, this is where you need to be. And I, can't, you know, it's very hard to, for me to tell the parent 
you know, please can you set up the phone or the laptop in a, a private place. Or quiet area. Because you've mm. never been monitored in the past by parents. Now all of a sudden mm. parents are listening mm. in and now they will have other questions or depends on mm. what teacher well, it is. the majority of them just leave you to it mm. because um, I, I don't feel threatened by, mm. I'm sure I speak for many teachers, we don't feel threatened by a parent listening in. In fact, mm. if the parent is there sitting next to the child, that is a huge benefit because that parent will help the child to, to pay attention, particularly in the primary school. Mm. Not so much when you're in the high school, you expect your child to have the maturity to know that they've this is the way to learn. This it should is the be. only way. But you have, to, especially in the higher primary, then you sort of intruding in the home. You're intruding in the relationship between parent and 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 student. Mm. When it's supposed to be, you know, that pedagogical relationship you have with the kids. It's just so hard. And teens and should be yeah, preparing themselves it. for tertiary education. That's in, it. The and, upper um, teens. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the vast amount of people who don't have laptops of the luxury. And if they work off their mom's phone and um, there are two children in the house that need to do it mm. on the same day. So when, when we had a situation, um, and then what happens if mom goes to work and takes her phone with her or there isn't money for data? So, the, so the Johnny other, doesn't get yeah, educated on it. that day. Or they have take turns. Right, one child gets on the one day and the other one gets on the other. But there's there was also the problem when when the schools were had um, one day on, one day off, they would try and keep the siblings coming to school on the same day. Right. So that lifts could be minimized. Otherwise, you're putting a child, you know, you have to take the child to school, a child to school every day. So then they would put the two children on, the, the siblings on the same day, which means that they would both be doing online at home. But anyway, that was just one of the problems of online. Right. And I'm just, I'm just so relieved that that at least we've taken online off. <clears throat> and um, I'm not so concerned about whether there's going to be barriers between desks and and masks and all those kind of things because those are things that will eventually iron out. But um, I know from myself that teaching behind a mask, especially when you're teaching language to very young children, was a huge challenge. Well, that's what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. The The next big thing is yeah. that uh, we need the, the masks removed from, yes. from uh, yeah. education to bring it back to a semblance yes. of normality. But that will come in time. Right. You can't expect our country to lift up all the protocols and we need to be aware mm. there are many parents with children with, with comorbidities and one has to respect that. You can't just suddenly... Uh, um, and there will be children who will be sitting at home still right. at this point. Mm. Okay, so if you ask me as a former, very long time ago, uh, child's parent, one of the big words that would always get people's attention, even in those days, was the word attention. Mm. So let, let, let's let's chat about a bit about this uh, from an educator's side. Attention, what is normal? Right, so um, the learning process, and because we are dealing with children in this particular instance, and children learn from birth up through right up to, through varsity until they well, it's a it's a lifelong activity. We speak about the two pillars of learning: things that help us to to learn um, effectively. And we are using those as, as normal human beings. That's how we were made. And the first pillar is attention span or attention, paying attention, which is um, to all sorts of information. So that would be the input of, 
of information is your attention span. And secondly, um, uh, your, your storage of, of what you ha- are learning. So that would be your memory. And what's more important is that you need to be able to retrieve it. And <laughs> as an older person, I'm sure you can relate that, <laughs> you know, if I have no problem as an older person paying attention to something, but, uh, you know, and we listen intently, whatever, because we can control our urges to be distracted, etc. And uh, then comes this horrible thing of retrieving. You know, all of us have been in the supermarket and forgotten the list at home. <laughs> or you meet somebody or so- that someone's you know. Name. <laughs> so, and you should do this. And But if there's not so, proper attention, if attention isn't no, dealt with, mm. you're never going to remember because you've got to, you've got to be yes, attentive in order to, to store that memory that's which will it. be retrieved. In, input is, in, output is dependent on input. Mm. Yes. So what is normal? So what is normal? Okay, and when we're dealing with with that is a very good question to start. So and it's a very normal, controversial term as well. Yes, you know, normal. Um, and of course, we are talking about we're not talking about specific types of children or intelligence of children or background or disciplinary and things. I'm just talking in general now, and this is a very simple formula. And uh, when I tell parents this, it just puts things into perspective. Um, when um, we measure a child's attention span um, as up to about the age of 12, even 13, 14, 15, as a minute per year of age times three. This simple um, formula, it, it depends on the fact that we have a um, scenario where a, child, a span means from the moment a person actively and, vol- and consciously starts attending to whatever the information is presented, whether it's visual, auditory, or kinetic. So that child pays attention, and that's called a span. Mm. From the moment they start being interested to the moment interest wanes, that's called a span. And one span is a minute per year of age. So we're dealing with, say, um, a four-year-old. And you watch that child play, and he will, in fact, then be interested in 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 what he's doing and then after about four minutes that child will then move off and perhaps bring another piece of lego to the game or another toy or maybe he'll say something or show you something in other words he will detach himself from his activity but then he will return to it again a second time for another approximately four minute span and then a good concentration span means he repeats it a third time and the third time might not be as long as four minutes. It could even be longer, but it's a different form of his attention. It's slightly less intense. So this is valuable because when you look at a busy two-year-old, I mean, that you use it, I've got this two-year-old child who's so busy or whatever, and it's because he's got attention span, he's not able to walk around and find something to do by mm. himself. Up until two years old, we give kids things to do. Then the two-year-old starts being busy. So he walks around because he's incredibly explorative at that age. So he walks around and he picks up something and then he moves on after two minutes and then another two minutes and then another two. And you sit down with this activity that you expect him to do for half an hour and he hasn't got the capacity to do it because his attention span is two minutes Times, times three. three, which is so six minutes. Six minutes. Right. So on, on, and if you take that, uh, that as a, a formula, you think of when your child goes to, to goes to grade one, where he's approximately six years old. So six times three is eighteen minutes. Now, um, 
18 minutes is approximately, the le- uh, say 20 minutes is about the length of time a child sits in grade one on the mat and does maths. Right. So usually the teachers have got groupings for, for, for teaching maths and language and spelling or whatever. So they take a group of six-year-olds, they put them on the floor, and they teach the, the children on the floor for about, say, 20 minutes. Maybe it'll start off less than that. And then um, the rest of the children are sitting doing the rest of their work. So she has them for 20 minutes. In that 18 minutes, in that time, she starts off her lesson, six minutes of revising memory retrieval of the previous concept. She then teaches the next one for the next six minutes. And then the last six minutes is consolidation. Mm. Then they go back and the next group comes in. So if your child is not able to sit for 20 minutes, regarding 18 to 20 minutes about the age of six or certainly for grade R and grade one, then that child is going to start being distracted and will not be able to be attentive enough to listen to the whole thing. So that's a simple, and that gives you an idea. You can start working from even a baby. A baby uh, uh, up to the age of six months will be 30 seconds focused on one toy. Right. Okay, let's quickly move through into uh, ADD. That's a big one. From a teacher's perspective, educator's perspective, what are the basic causes of ADD? Well, it's quite simple. I'm not going to go deep into that issue now, but um, ADD is such a, a label for a child nowadays. We tend to use the word busy, but it basically means an, inten- an inability to focus on one particular aspect um, of, of life um, and and without being able to um, um, stop um, irrelevant stimuli. Mm. So, th- therefore, um, and what makes that child unable to do it? It could be various reasons, but basically bends, it, it boils down to the child's physical and biological makeup. It could be genetic, and it could also be metabolic, and otherwise their their reactions to foodstuffs or, or scenarios like that, Phys- you know, that kind of metabolic, the metabolic rate of a child. Like a child giving too much sugar will act differently that's, to a that's child. That's exactly it. So, so what you give a child for breakfast is important, Very especially important. if and they're the lunchbox. predisposed to something yeah. like uh, Any attention. child, you pick up your, you know, you drop your child off at a birthday party, and they're all running around and they're doing all these things and they get fed up with sugar. You bring you, when you take the child home, you wonder if it's the same child as the one you delivered. Yeah. So that's a metabolic reason, and and then if if the, this inability to pay attention is is comes down in the family, it could be a genetic reason, and then there could be another physical reason why right. they have that. So, what are some of the common treatments that you see working as an educator? Right. So um, obviously, some treatments are um, many people take their children to homeopathic. Um, um, people to, so that they can check that they're the type of stuff that they're giving the child to eat. That's the me- metabolic uh, mm. thing. And people know when the right time. Parents, most parents know that when to give sugar and when not and to limit that type of thing. And the average parents certainly in the... Um, w- so restricting you know, sugar is a treatment? It is a treatment. Mm. It's and, and, and without like putting, going to the shop and buying all sorts of fancy stuff, just giving your child healthy, wholesome stuff that limits um, excessive movement Mm. 
is a very good idea. Right. And that, that's the main, the main one is used. And then, of course, um, the most common one that is often and the one that gets the most flack is um, um, chemical intervention. Mm. And that simply means taking taking tablets, which will… Um, we all know the brands. Yeah, that's right. So there's lots of… you can One can talk about that. And then, um, and then certainly, you know, so that's dietary and chemical. And the one that we, as an educator and as a parent myself, and one that works with, I work with children is, is behavioral. Mm. And that is one way we can, we can change things. Um, because if a child is born with a genetic disposition towards, inattentiveness you can you can help that child there's is you know you if it's genetic that you've got a couple of hurdles against but mm. certainly and so, so removing non-essential stimulation you don't want that child to be in an yeah. environment where they're overstimulated yeah. because mm. uh the, the predisposition predisposition to an attention problem is just going to be amplified. Mm. In a teaching scenario, you actually, um, you're sitting with a class that you've got your bright kids who can pay attention. You've got your bright kids that can't pay attention. In my in my experience, most ADHD children are quite bright and they mm. just can't stop this, this movement because there's just life is so exciting. So in a classroom, you need to put up, you want to put pictures up that stimulate um, you know, the, certain of the children to get them in, interested in learning. And then you engage have that, them. Yes, that's right. And then you have your child that just spends their life looking around the classroom and not listening to, to the teacher mm. or focusing on, on the book in front of him. So, look, there, there are a couple of practical ideas for parents out there. And I'm going to, some of these things I'm sure you've heard of is that um, when you, um, when, when a child, um, when, when you try to help a child with attention span, you have to find out uh, quickly what type of things distract. So, and I think we spoke about this once before. Yeah. We remember it's it's how um, boys um, will will listen to a, a vehicle going past, and then that's how the the brain works with mm. a boy. And I mean, the, especially I, if a siren is attached. Well, yes. I mean, I I remember we had this discussion at our last um, um, talk, and I went home and I taught a little boy that afternoon of ten. And while I was teaching him, a helicopter went over. So, boy, I could do nothing for the next minute or so while we discussed helicopters. So, you know, li- limiting, uh, just taking out the kind of, uh, of of distractions that are specific to that particular child. Um, another thing that really helps in the classroom and at home is a, a good mix between left brain um, activities and right brain activities. And if you see a, a school um, timetable, they will ke- they will um, try and you know intersperse the art and the music um, and um, and computer lessons because often that in- incorporates games on, mm. on and that and breaks that you don't have all your intense your maths your language and your science stuff all in a row right right so that type of thing is important um another thing that that parents can help from a very early age with children is that is routine routine does help a child with ADHD because then they can predict what they're supposed to be doing Mm. because a child does eight o'clock is bedtime 
that's it. And, uh, and then you can't just suddenly make it bedtime. There must be a whole ritual before. So certain ritualized activities help, like, for example, eating. We eat at a table. We eat at this time, more or less. And this is how we eat. So there's like a coding, like a, a structure there. Those kind of help things help kids with attentional deficit or uh, problems with attention. Mm. And then you have um, avoiding sensory overload. That is the biggest deterrent. So you have children who wake up in the morning, watch TV while they're eating their breakfast, have screen time before they go to school. And by the time they walk into school, they have utilized the day's worth of focusing. So everything that happens at school is now secondary because they've start being st- the brain has been stimulated. Which is why away. Waldorf works so well with that no that, computers that, up to a certain that, yeah, age. That's yeah, it. that's it. All, all tea time before that. Um, I also feel quite strongly that to help um, any person with attention span, no matter what your age, is that your body needs to have movement every day. Right. So when we're talking about high school kids or uh, upper primary or any primary or high school kids, um, movement, sport, sport helps you. When you're playing a team sport or most sports, you have to pay attention. And um, in the past, with when I've taught children with quite extreme ADHD, I've encouraged them to do sports like um, activities like um, uh, uh, karate and judo where you have to be on, you have to watch for small movements, mm. you have to be totally in control of your focus and your concentration. So that helps. And obviously sleep is an important thing. Children with attentional deficits often find it very hard to get to sleep at night. And um, that's when you you have to sort of sublimate a lot of your um, quieting your activities and your left brain and you're limiting your screen time. One must also remember that um, um, uh, a lot of children who are, who have got attentional problems, um, they struggle to go to sleep at night right. and they turn over the day and they are in many cases, they, they can't remember what they did during the day. And because they were so busy and they were so jumping around. So therefore, attend, that's why attention moves across, moves it's to the second It's a good segue into the second pillar, which is which is memory. Let's memory. talk about memory. We've got about mm. 12 minutes left in the show. Let's focus on memory. Okay. All right. So your memory, um, you can't remember stuff um, that you haven't put into your brain. So, you know. As we said yes, earlier, you've got to have right. that attention in order to. Uh, all right. Put it into memory. Correct. Now, the brain, just think of a filing cabinet. So you can't pull out a file from your filing cabinet unless you've put it in. So say you, you, you've got a good memory and you, you have put it into your filing cabinet, but you can't retrieve it unless it's in folders. So, not so, so wherever, whatever on your computer, you can't, you can't do a word search, <laughs> you know, find, find this word and then seek it somewhere up in, in, in your brain. We all use you, folders right, on our computers. That's it. So, we all use folders on our computers. So, we, why don't we do that with our brains? So, um, the retrieval is very important. Now, first of all, memory, you get different types of memory and there would obviously be cognitive Cognitive memory, information that you find important to to deal with in life, your pin numbers, your um, your address, your um, and then of course you've got something um, uh, that's your cognitive memory and auditory memory as well. The, the name of a song or the, the, 
the tune of a song, which would be your auditory memory, the faces of people that you're supposed to know, and that's your visual memory or information written mm. down. And um, even a movie that you go to, because that would be visual and audio. You know whether you've seen a movie or not. Or hear the theme or, tune. Or whatever. That's, your, that's a cognitive memory. And then you have something called a muscle memory, which is a kinetic memory. And the most simple one of mm. that is when you drive your car, you don't think first, second, third. It just, it, yeah. it just happens automatically. It happens. And um, it's an automatic thing. Um, uh, and also, you know, they say if you've, if you've, haven't driven if you rode a bicycle as a kid and you um you and you get on a bicycle tw- 40 years later the memory is still there so um and how many times have you driven somewhere to work and you have no recollection of ever getting there mm. and that's because certain things are automatic so um sometimes your, autom- your automatic is so ingrained in you that um you don't it's even a different part of your brain so um, your brain, you, your yeah. brain is actually controlling it. It's yeah. not like you in a in a dream in a dream world, and yeah. you and you should now yeah. do something dangerous. It just yeah. happens. I mean, I never think of changing gears. Yeah, unless I get into a situation, you think I better gear down mm. or something. Mm. But the normal. It's just part yeah, of your life. It's a bit like you've been driving an automatic car and all of a sudden you get into a car with gears. Then you have to focus on what you're doing for yeah. the time. And that's what we are like if we are, um, 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 if, if we suddenly find ourselves in a situation where you can't recall information which you felt you should know. So we also have something called long-term memory and short-term memory. And therein lies the trick of memory of of retrieval it's very much that that that's where it all lies i can remember my childhood but not what i ate for breakfast right and why do you do that yeah because we only remember we only remember long term what we stick in our long term is stuff which we find relevant so and as you get older, more and more things become irrelevant so it's not it. you losing your memory you just don't think it's relevant yes. to put into a folder so you just leave it that's exactly my point. So, in life, you have to uh, uh, in, you have to gauge whether something is important for your survival. That's how we're made. That's how mm. we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Is that if your survival means you have you've got nothing to eat and you've got to learn how to make how to fish, you will go back and you will learn it and it'll stay. All the information you need, I'm not talking about the actual physical thing, you will learn information about what kind of fish, where to find it, blah, 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 weather conditions, etc. What's poisonous, what's not poisonous. You will learn that, it will stay in your mind in your long term. But if you have to, we don't, we can remember what we ate for breakfast, maybe we can remember um, last night, maybe even the night before if you're lucky. If you didn't cook it, you you wouldn't remember much more than than two nights ago. Mm. So because your brain has got enough, certain amount of space there as far as you think, your brain has gotten the most amazing amount of space. Einstein said we use 10% of our cognitive abilities. Well, you see it in in, uh, savants. I watch a lot of documentaries Mm. around that and how people remember what happened after a brain injury on a certain time at a certain place. They've got a normal brain. They just suffered an injury and something happened. They still don't know why it does that. But it shows the immense capacity of a brain when something happens. Uh, We talk about normal, abnormal. So using such a small part of the brain, that's why some people have the ability to train their brain and people think it's Mm. miraculous. But 
it's all there. We just need to use it. Co- correct. Let's take the, a savant that can um, and about. Uh, they can tell you pi. They can tell you, you know, we Pi all know whatever points. points. They can just off they go with reciting three point one six, I think it is, think one four points, and then they carry on and on with the numbers. And people who can remember every single card in a pack of fifty two cards, I've seen kids do this. It's just because that was relevant to them. Mm. So when you sit down, when a, a child sits down and studies, let's say if the most relevant thing a child has got to do when they go to school with hands down, is how to read. Because that is that is the most important skill a child has got mm. to learn. They can get away with maths, working it on a calculator. On their fingers. Or on their fingers, whatever else. But reading, if you can't read, it's, you the, fundamental really, it's skill. the fundamental. And when you're in high school, that's when memory skills and study techniques come into for, and that is based on retrieval. Yeah, now that, mm. that, that, that I think is what we've alluded to now with savants, mm. is the ability to retrieve. Your, your, your brain remembers what you did on a certain day and what, what days are, uh, were important, but mm. you, you never, you, you, you've put mm. that away, but retrieving that is the important thing. And that's what I think with mm. uh, learning techniques we see now with education, and especially once you get to high school and university, is once you put that in there, sitting through lectures, then studying for five hours, mm. how do you retrieve that at the right time? Well, can I just, at this point, just want to put, give you one example. I'm sure all of us adults at some stage of our life, when it was the night before an exam, you spotted. Remember mm. that those times Spotting. when you knew that, yes, that this was going to come up. And I did biology for my trick, and I think I did very well because I just got the right spots. Mm. And you figure out very soon you can't spot for English or Afrikaans, but you never know which curved ball is going to get Crep you. Crep cycle and right. photosynthesis. <laughs> you know those are going to come, are going to That's come up. That's it. Absolutely, it might but, be for, but, uh, but you can't do that with, with Afrikaans. You, know, you can learn all the mirfoda and the verkleinwoorda and then you try to cram in the rules and then the year long comes bachripstutz and you don't know what word this is, no matter how hard you've studied. You've, so you've got to have that vocabulary. Here. So what I'm saying to you is that when it comes to studying or when it comes to learning at school, this is where the teacher comes in. Very quickly at the beginning of the year, she's got to learn which kids are visual learners and which kids are auditory learners. Right. In other words, the way you learn, which is, is going to affect your attention span. And then it's also going to affect your tree retrieval. So because, you part, a teacher is yes. part psychologist because you've, you've got to go into all these oh gosh, different as, aspects to understand absolutely. the child in order to deliver information mm. in a way that they will be able to uh, Mm. S- uh, store it. Mm, correct. So therefore you have a situation where um, I'm standing in front of a group of say 25 kids, 30 kids and standing in front of me are ch- uh, sitting in front of me are children who have who are visual learners. Mm-hmm. You have children in other words they remember stuff that they can see on a screen or in their book. That's what they can remember. I'm a visual learner. So that's the type of person who can spot or almost like a photographic memory, but um, they sit and they have to prepare quite a while before an exam, right? Because they've been visual learners. And so they work with mind maps and this type of thing to help them. And when they're writing it down, as they're writing down, they see you literally offload on the paper. 
And when you when you spot, you can't remember that. You're sitting mm. it, sticking it straight into to short term. But then you have your auditory learner, who's usually the guy that plays around in class, sits at the back of the class and 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 plays around. And perhaps doesn't ever do his homework because his homework happens to be. Um, Visual written mm. down, but when it comes to an exam, that kid miraculously remembers. Remembers why? Because while he was while he was sitting at the back playing or playing the fool in class, I'm thinking of high school particularly, mm. and um, that kid was just. Um, filtering the information that was being taught and deciding what is relevant. Right. So don't um, don't under as a teacher, don't forget those kids at the back might be visually playing around. They're distracting the mm. visual learners, but they are learning in their own way, and that's what surprises people when they get good good things. But I, I visualize car registration plates, plates and uh, telephone numbers. I have a sequence. And I, you yes, know, that's it. You know, that's a visual learner. But your, your brain needs to remember just the important ones. You can yeah. probably stick the other ones in short term. But um, I can't remember that because I don't find car registration numbers important for me to remember. I remember my own phone number, my husband's, and I don't even remember my own car registration right. number. I have to find a technique for that. And then finally, you get your multi multimodal learners who are able to do both and those are your top students in in the class that can visual visualize and they take in just the amount of visual that they feel is relevant they listen they put together and here comes the cherry on top in the last few seconds if you want to learn and be an effective learner whatever it is that you want to do two things you must be interested you must see what's relevant and you can't just take in what other people are telling you, whether it's through their eyes, you, you, you're looking at what they're showing you, 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 they are could be demonstrating something, or they could be telling you something. That's only going to go halfway in your brain. The secret is to do it. Because mm. once you do it, so it's no good, the ch- a child, let's take something as simple as a, as a, as a Lego tower. Um, and if they are simply, um, if you show them how to build it, if you show them how to do something, they are watching you, but they will only learn how to do it if they do once it themselves. You, once you like put long it division, you can explain it, you can show them, you can do it for them. They will not do it unless you back off and let them focus a minute per year of age on an exercise. Wow. Now that's a lot to remember. Yes. <laughs> Remember the basic formula, a minute per year of age times three. Hopefully putting that uh, technique into practice is what's going to help us retain. I'm I'm, I'm really interested in what you said about as you get older, you learn to understand what is relevant. That's why you You filter it out. out. That's that's very, very important. Mm. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. You've given us a lot of food for thought, and I trust that many of the people who have – uh, listened in today will gain a better understanding. And of course, for the amateur, the, the parent, not, not the educator, these things have uh, a relevance where they are going to now take action when they see problems, issues in their child's lives and then to, to understand what the teacher's going through and what they can get from the teacher. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a partnership mm-hmm. in getting your, your child onto the road, onto the route, that will give them the perfect uh, chance 
of becoming educated. So thanks so and much. A perfect chance at learning because we don't a- just stop learning when we in. Absolutely, it's a long, lifelong. So many people start learning something new at age mm. ninety. Right. Mm. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll talk again next pleasure. month. Yes, okay, I then. look forward to it. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. We're going to be uh, chatting with our finance expert next week. So until then, it's goodbye and God bless. Mm.